on Sound on our podcast, we have a very special guest. We have Venus Theory, uh, otherwise known as Cameron. And he says with his music, he blends a transcendent cinematic sound with the haze of introspective, eclectic style and soaring atmospheres. So Cameron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is very, very cool. Awesome, man. Um, could you tell us how you started in music? Like, did you come from a musical family? Um, yeah, my great grandpa was a musician. His family had like a band. I never met him. He died before I was born, but he had a band. They put out some records and stuff. I don't think they ever made it like, you know, huge or anything, but you know, they played and had records and did shows and I think they played around Nashville and whatever. So that was always really cool. My dad played a couple different instruments, mostly guitar. He was in bands when he was younger um my mom wasn't musical my mom was a teacher but you know they were always very encouraging with music i think around the time i was like seven or eight uh my aunt sent me a cd of godsmack (laughs) and there was something about the sound of that album of just like how aggressive it was i was like wow this kicks ass so i really wanted to be a drummer because i loved just like the energy of the drums on that record and my parents being sane people were not gonna buy their eight-year-old a drum kit not quite not quite yet (laughs) Yeah. So my dad um, or my mom, I don't remember who, but one of them talked me into like guitar. You know, we can get you a guitar and da 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 da. And I was like, okay, whatever. I'll play guitar instead. Um, And that was, yeah, that was pretty much it. Once I got that, that was just the only thing I cared about. And that's pretty much been it ever since. So I I did a couple lessons and stuff. Uh, Never really worked out. I've never been one for like the more traditional education format of like scales and, you know, charts and da 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 da. I've always been more like, I just want like the book or something and I want to just like dissect it myself and then I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So from there, um, eventually, you know, once I like knew how to play, it became like, oh, I want to be in a band. But I lived in this really tiny farm town and it's not like there was really anyone to play with outside, you know, the handful of kids who played an instrument, but none of them aspired to like do music professionally. You know, it was like, oh, yeah. I, I have a drum kit in my garage I never touch. So I tried that, didn't really work out. So then it became like, okay, if I'm going to be in a band, I'm going to need like this, this, and this. But obviously I can't play all these instruments at the same time. So I was trying to learn like new instruments and also learn how to record. So I was like, I had one of those portable uh, Line 6 recorders. Okay, I remember yeah. what it was called. You know, yeah, it was like the 2000s. They had this was little it, like... Was it like the the the, the Line 6 guitar port or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. It was this it's little like tiny it, thing and it, yeah, it looked had like a little one interface. microphone on it yeah. and it was really, yeah, it was pretty garbage. But yeah, that was what I started with. So I started recording guitar and then I would put the guitar into Audacity and then I would play drums over that into that same mic and then I would have like a bass and try and do that. And that was like how I got my start in music. That all sounded like absolute garbage. So eventually <laughs> I got into like DAWs and really learning, you know, how to mix and whatever. So by the time I was a teenager, you know, I'd already figured out like instruments and recording. Like I wasn't good at it, but I was at least aware of all these things that go into like making a record. Yeah. So later on, I went to music school for like a year that didn't work out. I hated that. Um, the school shut down anyway. That was kind of funny. I think there's like a huge lawsuit with them right now too. (laughs) Um, so then, yeah, I got into bands uh, throughout my teens and like early 20s. I was I was always in a band or like four bands, really. So, you know, I was like touring with different bands or doing like session stuff, you know, being like the bass player for one band and playing guitar in another and uh, got real tired of that. I hated the music industry, um, really not into performing live. I just I I can't stand it. 
Um, live music's never been my thing really. So then it became like, all right, I'm going to kind of get away from that. And I was so bitter with music that I just like quit music altogether for a couple years and got like a real job. Okay. And then that's kind of how I ended up where I am now. Of like, I got back into it and was like, all right, I'm going to do this like my way. And I'm not going to do this like industry bullshit. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Cause I was exhausted by that time. Cause yeah. you know, by the time I was like 25, I'd already been doing it for like over a decade. <laughs> it's already burnt out. <laughs> yeah. Um, you fried it fried yourself um so when did you start the youtube channel a bit hard to remember i want to say around 2017 maybe okay. 2017 2018 um i hadn't done anything with youtube in a really long time this is actually not my first youtube channel i had done youtube uh years and years and years before but very very like low effort stuff it was like hey um, here's the line six pod HD and here's how to reamp with it. You know, here's just like a little video about that. It was all very, you know, low level stuff. Um, yeah. and that was kind of fun. Uh, eventually I got into working in video and stuff and that was kind of where the Venus theory channel really started to come from. Once I started to take it a bit more seriously, was putting more effort into like actual cinematography and production value and whatnot. But that was only a couple years in cause for the first couple years of the Venus theory channel, like nothing happened. <laughs> And then it just like, it's one of those things that just snowballed to a point where it's like, oh, I guess this is sort of like a thing now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, But, you know, you know, funny enough, like throughout all the stuff I've done in music, that always seems to be the one constant is it's like the things you care the least about tend to do the best. Hmm. You know, it's like if you just like flow with something, it'll work out. And it, it may take years, but like it's always the stuff that I just don't seem to care that much about that really starts to work um and then you know youtube was changing at the time too and i really wanted to like get involved in new youtube i don't know yeah yeah you're not squeezing the the thing too hard and it it can like grow or bloom and that was the thing i think that was what i learned um you know in kind of a roundabout way throughout all the time i did music you know i was in bands and toured and all that and it and it's not like they weren't successful i mean you know it's not like we were katie perry or anything but you know, I think at the most like peak peak of my being in bands, you know, I was maybe making 30 some thousand a year, which like pretty respectable for just your average middle class musician. But all that money went right back into like touring and the van and guitar strings and maintenance and food. Gotta get more merch, man. Exactly. And that was like, I don't know. I just, yeah, you know, it was funny. I was like 23 years old and I'm like, I'm too old for this shit. Like I can't do this anymore. I can't live off hot pockets for the next 40 years. Right. So you know, by the time YouTube came around, that was the thing is it was like, I don't want to put every single thing into this and put everything on this one thing because mm-hmm. I just, you know, it just burns out so hard. And that was like music for me was just, I can't, I can't grind away doing like the live musician artist, you know, make a record go on tour, make a record go on tour. Like I just absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. It's very easy for the music industry to kind of start to to wear on you especially when you're in that like initial stage of trying to just get out there and like get on tours like that's even the hard part because you you see a lot of a lot of bands that are you know out there and you're trying to do your thing and you're like like you know unless you like catch on or everything just like blows up it's like it takes a long time for you know some some well and anymore too like the music industry's changed so much where it's like live music isn't really that much of a thing anymore. It's all like cover bands and DJs. So when you're first getting out there and I mean, I feel like now it's even harder than when I first started out. And when I first started out, it was still really hard. Yeah. But yeah, that was always the big thing is like that initial phase of every band was just like this grind of every stupid 
pizza shop we could play a gig at and every you know rat Dive hole bar, bar in wherever yeah. Iowa we could play at. And then eventually, you know, you get onto like the tours, you go to like, you play some festivals and do all that. And that's, I don't know, it's fun. It's just not for me. And I, I don't think that's a sustainable model anymore with the way the industry has leaned. And mm. I think that's kind of part of like what has made YouTube such a thing for me is I feel like there's just this new paradigm of what an artist is these days. You know, I mean, it, I, my wife was watching some uh, uh, TikTok the other day about something and it was like, you know, kind of a lighthearted meme thing of like, I'm a small business owner and that means I have to be a content creator. So here's the content. And I was, it's just, <laughs> that sums it up so well that like yeah. all the musicians I know anymore do like 500 million things to make things work. And I think that's kind of how it has to be. I don't think you can really be in a band and tour and sell merch and sell records just because, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just not a thing you can do anymore. I don't think mm-hmm. <laughs> at least on a level to where like, you're going to be able to retire or something. <laughs> yeah. It helps, be, if, it helps if your dad is rich and can like throw thousands and thousands of dollars of marketing. And that's most of the and, bands I know. Most <laughs> of the bands I know that are still doing it come from very wealthy parents. And even then like the, like I, as bitter as I was about my whole experience with doing, you know, the traditional music model, it's funny to see the people I know who got a lot more success in their, you know, early twenties, whatever, they really got to do the big festivals and the big tours. And, you know, you're jealous of that to some degree, but now, you know, some 10 years later or whatever, like they're just as broke as they were when they were 18. They, you know, they, and then COVID, especially all my friends mm-hmm. who went the more traditional route, I mean, really struggled yeah. the last mm-hmm. few years because venues are gone and now that things are open ish again, the booking agencies are gone, so they can't get anything booked. And even if they could book anything, there's nowhere to be booked at. So yeah, know, everyone they of, worked with is is either in a different business or working yeah, somewhere. Well, everything else. shut down. Yeah. yeah, like the labels shut down, the booking events shut down, the like you know vendors and whatever that run venues they shut down or they can't get staff. So it's like live music sort of changed, but. You know, I think I think it worked out for the better, and I'm, I'm definitely happier now than I was trying to do that whole route. And I think mm-hmm. it's nice to not have to place everything on just like I'm going to go get super famous because that's such a stupid milestone. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like what does that even mean? Like, like okay, you can get famous doing like something really horrible, and it's like that doesn't. It's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah, that's good. the <laughs> that's the thing I always look at is like you know when I look at especially YouTube comments, I see that a lot of people like you know why, you know, why does this video or this channel have so many views or like, why does this art, you know, these beat makers have all these success and I'm, I'm trying to make real music and I'm not, and it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird goalpost to set for yourself to define Mm -hmm. your success by the placeholders of like what other people are doing at that time. So, you know, like defining success as an artist is so hard and it has to be something you really need to personally look at and not just look at like the billboard charts or, Mm-hmm. whoever else is doing what, you know, you have to define it as like, have I, you know, am I better at what I'm doing than I was a year ago? Or was, am I happier in this aspect of what I'm doing now? Or, you know, have I made better versions of what I wanted to make or something like that? But yeah, it's like that, that seems to be the initial mindset. I feel like for everybody, when you look at music, you're just like, all right, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get super duper famous. And that's just next to impossible. And it's weird that we have this sort of stigma surrounding the like, middle class of artists you know there's so many insanely talented people who make a living at music that you've never heard of 
And people, yep. for some reason, seem to think that that's a bad thing. Like, I haven't heard of you. That means you're not successful. And it's Important. like, I know. Yeah, I know, you know, musicians who get a gajillion streams or whatever, but they're super broke. They're super burnout and like they hate their lives. Yeah, totally. I, I think when like people pick up music, it's from a pure, you know, in your childhood, you're like learning it for the love of the game. And you definitely need to define your success before you like look around and see, oh, this person has a billion views on their YouTube video or like, you know, they're, they're the top artist on Spotify or whatever. And typically it's best if you can define success by your output, like things you can control. So like I put out six albums this year or I put, you know, I worked really hard and like improved my craft and those things that you can control and you have autonomy over. Yeah. No, I, I was just rereading the uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. If you guys know that book, yeah, uh, yeah. Mark. Yeah. Uh, it was, there was a, a segment in it talking about Dave Mustaine and uh, his experience <laughs> with Metallica, where you know Dave Mustaine was a Metallica, got kicked out, and was super mad. So then later on, you know, his goal was like, I'm going to be bigger than Metallica, and they're going to regret mm -hmm. kicking me out. But now Metallica is arguably more successful than Megadeth. So even though Dave Mustaine is like this super successful, I mean, has, you know, tons of accolades and fans and awards and all that, he's still not good enough by that metric of like mm -hmm. my success relative to Metallica. <laughs> and like, I feel like that's it's such an easy thing to get lost in these days because – I don't know. We we've established such a need for vanity metrics, which I really don't get. Um, mm -hmm. There was a thing recently to kind of talking about that. And I just thought it was so funny to think that like, you know, you're it's like it's like that monologue from Fight Club. You're not your khakis. You know, you're not you're not your Instagram <laughs> likes. You're not your whatever. It's just there's no way to quantify success from that you know i wear my subscribers on my sleeve yeah know? well that's yeah that's something i talk to people about a lot you know because people ask me about like starting a youtube channel or like starting sound design you know how did you get to work with this company and do this thing and whatever and it's it's funny to think that it's just it's so hard to distill in these people the idea that the difference between your first gig your first one hundred dollar gig your first thousand dollar gig and your first ten thousand dollar gig they don't really look all that different mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's just a weird spot we're in now where, I don't know, just because you have this doesn't mean that you necessarily like deserve that. And it's also not indicative of, I guess, what success is to me. Yeah. So it's funny that we've just become so obsessed with like needing this viral beat or whatever, or we've put ourselves in a position where, you know, the make or break for an artist these days could be just getting put in a 15 second TikTok. You know, I, I was reading an article the other day that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way about Spotify playlists and whatever, uh, because, you know, their services like Submit Hub, which are like very gray area, like it's kind of payola, but yep. it's not like totally. It's the new and, and uh, improved payola. Yeah. And it was an article about uh, Spotify placements. And across this whole thing, it kept emphasizing the point that you need to design music for the playlist, which makes <laughs> sense. Like if you... Yeah. You know, if you want to get put in a bunch of TikToks, you need to make something that's about 15 seconds long, that's really, really memorable and is sort of like quirky and kitschy and whatever. And the same thing with Spotify. If you want to get a bunch of success on Spotify, you need to look at the top Spotify playlists and what they are. Most of these are, you know, lo-fi hip hop and da 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 da. So as an artist, you're now defining everything that you can do based on what's going to perform well in an algorithm. Right. And I don't know. Yeah, it's funny to think, as you mentioned, you know, you start out 
with such a pure intention of like, I'm just going to make music or learn piano or drums or whatever. And now we've established this point where we have to be like, okay, you know, based on the trends in this algorithm, now I need to write this style of music for the next six months. It needs to be exactly this long and feature these types of sounds. So it's like, I don't know, while success on some of those mediums is easy, I just don't know that it's fulfilling as an artist. It's like being a ghostwriter for Taylor Swift or something. It's like, you're now like, all right, you got like five or six people yeah write a hit song and you're just like a bunch of musical mad scientists trying to like break down chord progression and that's the thing is like you look at you know writing music for a spotify playlist and it comes down to the same thing it's like you know it's almost so i don't know boiled down that it's like couldn't you just make a computer algorithm that just like slaps together some loops off splice and it would be just as well done oh i'm sure i mean it's it's being worked on as we speak probably (laughs) ai is absolutely going to be the future of music and i'm very very excited for it there's a lot of cool ai stuff out there and i'm really looking forward to especially once like deep learning gets involved with these on a more like publicly accessible level Mm -hmm. you know like there's some incredible stuff that i think is going to happen very very quickly but it's funny that people are so scared of it too that's that's a trend i see a lot is yeah could you give some examples like i've seen scalar Uh, i don't know if that's the kind of the thing you're talking about so like you know, Isotope, I think, is kind of the the top of the tongue AI thing right now with their mixing assistant, mastering assistant with, you know, Ozone, Neutron and stuff like that. And that's yeah. awesome. I don't yeah. think it's it's not quite there yet, but it is pretty good. Like if you're making just boilerplate genres, you know, drum and bass, dubstep, something that's like contemporary and modern and whatever, or pop or, you know, R&B, whatever, something that has kind of a striked balance. The isotope stuff works really well at that. You know, it's not great at mixing like classical or like, you know, avant-garde jazz or something. But if you're making like a dubstep track, it's really good at making that sound pretty okay. It's a great starting place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the AI writing tools, you know, Orb uh, Orb Composer Suite, um, Scalar, I think, is integrating some stuff. Uh, Captain Chords. I think the the Melody tool currently has some like AI stuff. Uh, Melody Sauce has a bunch of algorithms and whatnot. And I think that's going to get a lot better in a very short amount of time. And there's tons of tools out there that are like web based mm-hmm. that have, you know, either like some degree of AI or at least some kind of algorithm to suggest like, OK, based on this, you know, with voice leading, this is the chord that should come next. Or here's like three options that you could take this into modulate or whatever. And I think that's going to be something we're going to start to see integrated into DAWs sure. in the near future. And especially as like more computing power becomes available, like right now, if you wanted to run, you know, some of the Google like Magenta or whatever, or other like big AI tools or whatever, it's insanely computationally expensive and no one's going to do that at home. But I'm sure in a couple more years, we're going to see these tools integrated into the DAW in a way where like, let's say you're a vocalist, you know, you're, you're a good singer, you've got lyrics and whatever, but you don't know how to play an instrument. Mm-hmm. You could tell your DAW, hey, I want to make a a k-pop tune in the key of g minor and your dog can say okay here's like a rough layout you know here's like a format here's some instruments that will probably work okay and then you know mixing tools it'll automatically kind of level things out for you so i feel like it's going to be a sort of different era of like construction kits or something so i think that's going to be where the direction of ai is going to go is it's it's never going to replace the human element of writing But I think it's going to be a lot more useful to those who need, you know, some degree of like, oh, I, you know, I got this like really great guitar line, but I, I, you know, I need a a groove, a drum beat or something. And your dog can look at that and say, okay, cool. Boom. Here's a bunch of drums. 
Yeah, so like orchestration or anything that's kind of a chore, I think would be great to have some sort of artificial intelligence helping you out with that. Having like a plug and play, uh, here's the whole tracks spat out for you does feel a little bit dystopian in the like creativity side, like creation of the song. But I understand like you're trying, you're using your creativity in a different place. Like you're applying it at a different point in the process. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've already been there. Like we have construction kits now, you know, you can go on splice or, you know, a black octopus or whatever and get like a pre-made dubstep song and you can just <laughs> change a few things and now it's yours. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's always going to be that rise of like the human element is what's going to differentiate things because anymore with music, I mean, there's so much music out there and everybody's a producer, everybody's a, you know, SoundCloud rapper or whatever, that it's not necessarily a question of like, what's worth your money as a consumer. It's more what's worth your time Mm -hmm. because, you know, if you don't like something, everything is replaceable. You know, there's a million different YouTube channels and podcasts and rappers and Spotify playlists and streaming services and whatever. So if you don't like one, you can just move on to the next. So I think, you know, kind of like the AI art scene to some extent, you know, people are going to abuse that and call themselves visual artists by just throwing some prompts at an AI art generator and saying, I am, you know, I am artist. But, you know, the person that utilizes these tools as more of a foundation or as kind of a compliment to their existing skills or growing skill set, that's what's really going to define them as an artist. And I think that's where this is really going to become useful because like, you know, I use this stuff all the time, like little generative patches or Mm -hmm. other things just to get the idea rolling. It doesn't necessarily always end up in the final product, but like when you're just totally stuck and need to take something in a bit of a different direction, throwing some of these tools at a session can be insanely useful. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it's really something to be, afraid of it's just something that is very reactionary you know um i i was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about like there's you know vanilla ice cream and cheese pizza and whatever and these things are all very palatable and everybody agrees with them like nobody has strong hate feelings about vanilla ice cream you know it just it's okay Mm -hmm. but you know you get something like rocky road or like pineapple on pizza suddenly it's much more divisive and like that is wrong i hate that i da 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 i like real pizza man and it's the same (laughs) thing we run into with music all the time like computers can't make real music man like real music's made on the daw but you know 50 years ago real music was made on tape but before that real music (laughs) yeah real music was live you know recording it to the gramophone was like this you know, this isn't real music. This is yeah. a, a soulless replication. But, you know, I would challenge a lot of the people that feel that way to consider the idea that, like, all music, like, fundamentally is, like, math. So it stands to reason that, like, algorithmically, all music could be reconstructed given a large enough data set of training. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your sound and your identity as a musician could be replicated by a computer. You know, if you fed it your catalog, I think, you know, with enough power and time and, you know, whatever algorithms get developed to analyze these things, you could make a new song in your style. And I think that's a really powerful idea. That's not something I'm afraid of. Yeah. I think if anything, that's like having the ultimate writing partner. Yeah. You know, and that's exactly why I use these tools the way I do now. If I have a groove going and I'm just like, ah, you know, like what is the bass? 
going to do like, I really love these chords, but I'm not going to just go like root note, root note, root note, root note. Mm -hmm. That's boring. So I might call up some generative stuff and suddenly it spits out three or four really bad ideas. And I'm like, wow, that sucks. But then one really good one comes along. And then, you know, I might need to change a note or two. And suddenly I've got this really great sounding track from, you know, the evil machine. (laughs) Right. So I think it's a, I think it's a really cool thing. And I think it's going to be something that is going to enable a new set of people to create, you know, much like the AI art scene. I suck at like drawing and painting and stuff, but having something like that to assist me as like a visual artist might be really powerful. You know, then I could see how the AI constructs it. I might be able to use that as kind of an idea and pull that into Photoshop and start messing with it or whatever. And suddenly I've got really good album artwork. And, you know, and I think it's the same thing with music. You might be a really great rapper, but you might be really shit at mixing. So is that really that, you know, terrifying to prospect that like, oh, you know, my computer could help me mix. Like, I think that's great. And I think that's going to give a whole new voice to music for everybody. And I'm all about that. I don't think it needs to be this gatekeeper. Like, if you don't, you know, if you don't know an instrument, then you you can get out. You like, don't belong here, a, right? And, and I, I see that stuff all the time in like YouTube comments or on SoundCloud or whatever. I'm just like, you know, this sucks. You know, you don't even know you do. You use the chord pack and whatever. And it's like the chord pack or whatever is not innately wrong. Yeah. Like there's a stigma to it. Like the marketing is garbage and whatever, but yeah, it is a tool. And that's the same thing. It's like, you know, if you don't design every sound in your session, you're not a real, you know, electronic artist, whatever. And it's like, well, you know, would a guitar player build their guitar before every show? That's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, how, how far do you want to take that back before? It's like, you're not a real <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You didn't build your house. Exactly. That's it's yeah. Like, it's what like, does that I, even mean? You know, it's like, yeah, like I, I totally agree with what you're saying because I feel it's like, you know, if someone was to say, well, why do you have 10 guitars in your room? Well, it's like each of them are different. Well, and even if they aren't that different, some of them just play different. I like this one better on some days. You know, some days I want to play my acoustic more. Yeah, it's like, you know, those kind of tools. Like I was actually watching, I think Jeff Manchester was uh, talking about Scalar on some video. And I was like, oh, I never really heard about it. And I was checking it out. And I was like, I could totally see how that could be useful, especially for people who, you know, don't know much about theory and chord progression. Oh, yeah. And, like, and, and that's... That, and, it's cool because you can learn from those tools. You don't necessarily mean that you're just going to like cheat. I mean, if you want to cheat and go that route, there's a million ways to go about yeah. it. <laughs> but if you want to use tools or it's like, you know, having instructional books like, oh, back in my day, I used my ear. I didn't have books or whatever. It's like it's all about getting it, you know, it's or even like, um, you know, I like TuneTrack has those kind of. Uh, effects plugins that are just oh yeah like, like easy mix or whatever. like the easy yeah. mix stuff like i that's how i started but eventually oh, totally. you're like yeah. i want to tweak stuff i want to learn a little bit of like how to do this or that or you want to you know, learn like, how deep the rabbit hole goes yeah like if if you're that type of person eventually you're just gonna go down that rabbit hole yourself you know and, and i think that's the it's like from the movie whiplash or whatever where it was mm-hmm. talking about like you know the next charlie parker would never be discouraged or whatever and i think that's kind of the same argument here that like you know everybody's gonna cheat any way they can and that's mm-hmm. fine you know some of the most skilled songwriters i know are garbage producers and some of the best producers i know make just awful music but they're mm-hmm. like great mix engineers and i think this kind of falls into the same thing we're like it's gonna enable people to yeah cheat the game and like crap out of track instantly is that a bad thing 
I don't think so because those people are never going to go anywhere with it. One or two of them might, and that's always going to be held up as the outliers, and that's going to be the counter argument with all the grumpy old guys, you know. But I, I, you know, like what what is so bad about making music accessible? And that's yeah. exactly it. Like you know, you might be, you know, you might be really good at guitar, but you don't know enough theory to like put it to piano and like make it sound nice with a guitar and piano arrangement. Scalar yeah. or something might really help with that. And suddenly you can look at Scalar and it shows you what it's doing and why. And then the people that are really going to want to dig further into that are, and the people that aren't going to want to dig further into that, they won't. And they'll probably, you know, burn out and get tired of music and move on with their life. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a bad thing. If everybody has fun with it, cool. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, I don't know why it just, everything has to be a competition anymore. I swear. there's, There's just so many purists out there in like every field, you know, like even with guitars and like, you know, tone wood, man, use these yeah. kind of pickups. I only use these types of screws in my guitar because they come from Germany. It's like, what? <laughs> like, it's like some people just get like way too deep into that. And it's like, well, this guitar was 300 bucks and I did four records with it. Like, yeah, well, I mean, it's like, you know, sample libraries. People are like, why would you have a sampled piano? You could have a real piano. And it's like, I don't know about you. I don't really have 40 feet of free space to stock a grand piano in here, nor do I have like $300,000 just sitting around. I'm yeah. perfectly happy to download a $20 piano library and actually make some music with it. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be the grumpy old guys pretty soon. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm already already pretty close. I think I, I think I hit my quarter life crisis recently. So <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the YouTube channel. So, yeah, you, you started it like five years ago, but you were you were just like putting basic stuff out. But in the last, I would say, two years, your stuff has just exploded. It's just always it's been a lot more work. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. It's always in my feed. And like, good. I'm, I'm <laughs> That's what I want to hear. Of course. Uh, but like, um the music part is kind of a given like you've got you've got the music stuff down and like you you are competent at what you're playing and you know like how to demonstrate something but i think one of the things that sets your channel apart is how crisp the video is and how <laughs> like how good everything looks and um so how, could you talk to us about like how you got into the video side of it how did you learn like the editing and b-roll and things like that yeah. Um, I mean, I came from a background of working in video, actually. I did a lot of like motion graphics work. Um, Perfect. And then worked in doing like, you know, film work and whatever. Um, was always really into photography as well. Uh, that was always kind of like my other hobby that I, I just like don't talk about. I don't share, you know, like it's nice to have those things you just do for yourself, like cooking. Yeah. Love cooking. Not going to start a cooking blog. <laughs> you <laughs> don't, don't have care. to monetize every hobby. Exactly. And that, yeah, that's, that's a good footnote there is not, not everything needs to be monetized. You don't need to commercialize every goddamn aspect of your life. You really don't. As much as the internet makes you think you do, do something for yourself and don't tell anyone about it because it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice little escape for yourself kind of thing. Just to well, like, it's a good way just to outlet whatever. And that was what YouTube was for me initially. It was like I was so just pissed off and fed up with the music industry that I kind of got back more in like the sound design perspective. And then I was like, oh, you know, I'm doing some stuff with serum and whatever. And it might be nice to teach people about this. Like, Hey, here's like this sort of obscure idea in serum or like, here's how to make this sound. Everyone's really obsessed with right now. So as with most musical endeavors, nothing happened for a very long time. And then after about like a year it picked up and then it became like, okay, so like I've got a, I've got an audience, you know, not like a big audience, but an audience. So it was like, okay, 
you know, this is a fun thing. You know, I play some Grand Theft Auto at night and then I jump on my computer and make like a quick video about like compression or something. And, uh, you know, then it, it just kept going and kept going and kept going and got to a point where it was like, okay, I need to invest like some time into this if I really want to take it up a notch, because then it became obvious that like there is an audience for this. Mm-hmm. I just need to reach them because, you know, videos started getting more views. I started getting more comments. I started getting more, you know, messages and whatever. So I was like, okay, there's something going on and I needed to learn to capitalize on it. So eventually it got to a point where I was like, I dropped down from my job from full-time to part-time and really invested more into doing sound design and doing YouTube. And then, yeah, in the last couple of years, it got to a point where like, YouTube is really sustainable to some degree. Um, not through the AdSense though, like AdSense is worth nothing. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I mean, it's kind of like Spotify, you know, you get a million streams, here's like eight bucks. Don't spend right. it all in one place, kid. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks for working for us. We yeah, exactly. It. So, you know, with YouTube, it became a thing where like, all right, I, I kind of figured out what I was doing and what I wanted to do. And there was sort of this shift in what YouTube was becoming. So in my mind, it became like, okay, one, I always just want to make like the videos I wish I had and like Hmm. stuff that I wish someone would have told me because I think that's really important. And I think that's something I have to like give back to the musical community. And then it was like, okay, but why can't music tube be like really good and, you know, really polished and look really nice. So then I started, you know, investing more money in like camera gear and whatever, because now you know, I wasn't working doing that stuff. I had to buy my own equipment. So I kind of just kept scaling up, kept scaling up. And as it became more apparent that it was worth more time invested in it, then it became like, all right, I'm going to get like a big badass camera. I'm going to get really into the editing and, you know, color grading and, you know, do some really nice B-reel and whatever. So for that, it was always like coming from a background in video work, you know, the editing was always something I knew how to do and just like how to work on. I'm getting a lot better at like what I want my format to be. And I think that's another thing people don't really notice. And, and, you know, much like a good instrument or something, these are the things you don't notice. They just are. So there's sort of like, you have to find your own voice with Mm -hmm. your editing style, you know, much like when you're writing music, you want to have your own kind of thing. It's still roughly definable. You know, I'm a drum and bass artist, but I am a drum and bass artist more known for string arrangements or something, you know, like you have your, you have your thing. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of the, the thing that's been a challenge in the last couple of years, but I feel like I finally figured out what I want my videos to look like and keeping things very consistent and tonally formatted and branded as you know, dumb as it is to use that word. But, you know, I had kind of an idea of where I wanted to go and then it became, okay, I'm going to start putting in B real and like good slow-mo shots. And I've always been really into like films and games and stuff. So I think a lot of that has just been like kind of in the back of my brain of like the the movies I really like and the directors I really like and how their camera work is. And I really wanted to replicate that in like a YouTube video. Cause I, I mean, it, as stupid as it is, it is kind of fun to be like, you know, why can't a synth review have like epic establishing shots and stuff? Yeah. And like, I would love to take it bigger and bigger, but it's just a matter of like, you know, the finding that point of diminishing returns as, as much as I'd love to get like, and Ari Alexa and have like a drone shot and all this stuff like, you know, there's a point where that's, that's a little overkill, but I feel like there is a happy medium of what it can be. So from there it became like learning how like a film is made. And that's something I've been really into in the last couple of years is watching and reading a lot about filmmaking and cinematography and art direction and things like that. And just how, 
you know, how is a movie made? So mm-hmm. now my videos are a pretty big effort because there's a lot of like, okay, day one is scripting. Like, what am I going to say? What's the order I say it in? I do like a dry read with myself to make sure that it's flows how you would yeah, talk kind of thing. And, you know, sometimes you say stuff out loud and you're like, oh, that sounds stupid or like, oh, that's that might be confusing. And you kind of find those little pitfalls of like, oh, I should probably talk about this before I talk about this because you need to kind of have this information. So to me, that's a story arc. And that's kind of how I structure my videos now is like it's almost like a plot line of, okay, we're going to go from here to here and here's kind of the climax and here's kind of the introduction and here's like the establishing pieces and whatever. So I script all that out. I do my shot planning of, okay, this is going to be an overhead shot with a voiceover. This is going to be a talking head. This is the angle it's going to be at. So I have like little stick figure drawings because I suck at drawing, you know, little stick figure shots of like, all right, this is what it's going to look like. And then I write out titles and thumbnail ideas. So I usually try and do about 10 to 20 titles for every video. And I try to make about 10 to 15 thumbnails just to workshop Nice with myself. Um, the final thumbnails I do later on, but you know, these are again, like little stick figure sketches of like, Oh, this might be a good way to frame this or whatever. But that's a good thing too, because it teaches you to analyze a piece of content from a lot of different angles. You know, coming up with 20 titles for one video is really hard. So you have to, you have to like zoom out and look at it a few different ways and say, okay, what is the best way to sum up what I'm talking about? And then that too also helps inform the content. Because now you know, okay, this is kind of my hook, line, and sinker. So now I need to integrate that back into the script. So that's usually day one is just a whole day of that kind of stuff. Day two is shooting of just like talking heads and all the like raw footage. Then day three is B-reel. Day four is usually B-reel slash editing, depending on how much like B-reel I need. So then I have like a rough cut, go through it again, color grade, edits, you know, whatever. And then day five is usually like final edits, adding in music cues and whatever, rendering it out thumbnail title uploading tagging description you know like it's a it's a big thing so oh yeah (laughs) you know the the 15 minute video you see probably took me like five or six days but i try to keep it to you know if you're gonna spend your 15 you know nobody has the attention span anymore so it's like if you're gonna spend your 15 minutes of youtube with me that morning i want it to be a very compelling and worthwhile 15 minutes Mm -hmm. even if you only watch like five minutes of the video i still want to have an effect of like damn that was really good (laughs) or like wow that's a cool idea i'm gonna try that later Mm -hmm. you know that's that's what i want and that's kind of the the thing that's been the new i don't know the north star yeah Yeah. the the overarching theme is like i just want to you know even if you disagree with everything i'm saying or whatever i want to at least keep it to a point where you watch a video and you go huh okay you know that was really dumb i don't agree with that (laughs) at all but i could try this instead yeah. And, you know, maybe that maybe that finishes your album. Maybe that starts your next song. Maybe that gets you out of whatever. Or, you know, you really like what I'm talking about or whatever. And you're like, oh, shit, I got to I got to go do that. And that's mm. the thing I want is like those light bulb moments. Yeah, I love the video that you did recently. And I think in the video you were like, eh, I didn't really know what to make. Just kind of made this video. But it was the one I think you were talking about, like the Mixolydian flat two or like the. Oh, yeah. Like more modal, like modal mixture or whatever. Like, yeah. And. Like I love that kind of stuff because I, I don't really like to like immerse myself in too much theory. It's it's one of those like you kind of like, oh, that's an interesting concept. And that's what I like about certain like theory approaches. And like the way that you went about it was like how I like to 
breakdown stuff in a yeah, it's very it's musical like, like hey just hear it like just listen to it like here's the scale here's some chords and just kind of like oh like it was funny because like i was thinking like damn that has kind of like a nine inch nail sort of vibe and then you kind of like were, were mentioning that and i was yeah. like oh cool like like i totally got that and like right away i was like oh like i want to mess around with that like and it like instantly it sounded like very just like inspiring but super simplistic oh like here's the one i'm just playing this little ding doon ding doon here's the four like and you hear it and you're like that's so cool yeah theory doesn't have to be this big gatekeepery thing and that's always like whenever i'm doing a theory video that's the first thing i want is like okay what am i going to teach you that you are actually going to be able to make a piece of music with because there's mm -hmm. a ton of i mean amazing music theory channels out there there really are like you can get a hell of an education from youtube but the problem with them, I think, is they often just go too into the theory mm -hmm. and it doesn't leave you with much practical information like, OK, here's a whole bunch of stuff. Figure it out. And then on the other end, you know, there's videos that are very music heavy, but they're very lightweight on the theory. And it's I often get the feeling that it's because the person teaching it doesn't really like understand it enough to sort of, you know, put two and two together. Like, OK, now here's the context that mm -hmm. makes this matter. So that's kind of what I wanted to do and also keep it more from like my own perspective of like, here's how I think of, you know, modal mixture and why it works and how you can start using it. And I don't want to get too heavy one way or the other. I just want to keep things, you know, kind of agnostic towards genre or whatever. Just here's an idea. Now go try it. And I want to mm -hmm. keep it to where like, even if you don't really understand theory all that much, you should be able to watch that video and go okay, you know, like I know a major and a minor scale, but I, you know, I didn't maybe think that you could combine them. Mm -hmm. So cool. And then maybe that sparked you to look into like modes and whatever. And that's kind of the, the back end of it. So that's another big part of the editing process. Actually, the first thing I write for every video is the takeaway. Mm -hmm. And it's just two sentences of like, in watching this video, what do you gain? You know, you, you have learned how to do this, or now you understand what this means or you know whatever it's just that's the the thing that has to come out of it so that's a really good way to kind of rein in content because usually my videos start out very you know all over the place and it's about just cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting so that you know by the time it comes down to the 20 minute edit or whatever it's really good and really concise mm -hmm. that's something i'm like sometimes i'm guilty of like i just recently put out a video it was like almost 40 minutes but it's like i i it's hard for me sometimes to kind of like dial it back but then it's like you watch and you're like, okay, I could probably have taken that and just consolidated it into like ways smaller things, you know? And that's kind but, of the thing I've learned through YouTube is like when I first started, I did the exact same thing. It was very long, very drawn out tutorials, you know, very comprehensive of just here's every possible thing you could need to know about this topic. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's so long. Nobody watched it. And then it became clear that like, oh, Okay, so if I'm making one 40-minute video, why can't this be four 10-minute videos? Mm -hmm. And you're know, trying to break things out that way and learning learning to, like, get multiple things out of one project, I think, is yeah. the real key. Yeah. Especially for, like, a YouTube channel. You can't invest everything into one thing. There's plenty of channels that do that, but those are not really the channels that, I think, get into the upper echelons of, you know, MusicTube or whatever. But even that, like, with MusicTube, I feel like there's still a ceiling you know, most of the like a Andrew Wong, maybe being the exception I can think of offhand or like Rick Beato, mm -hmm. um, you know, they've both got like gajillions of subscribers and there, there are a handful of other channels who have like, you know, maybe a million or close to a million. But for the most part, it seems like at about two to three hundred thousand is where music YouTube sort of tops out. So that's kind of where I'm at now is like I want to 
I want to try and break that. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I haven't figured out how I'm going to do that yet. But, you know, it seems like things have gone well enough. And I feel like I've started to figure out what I want to do and make it work. Because this month was the first month I actually did YouTube full time. Nice. Congrats, up up to this point, I've never done YouTube full time. It was always, always a side hustle. So I told myself like, okay, for one summer, I'm just going to go at it. And I'm gonna, I dropped off all my client work and all my stuff and just like invested in myself. Because it came down to the point of like, I've done, you know, sound design wise and all that. Like I have done every project I've ever wanted to do. I I cannot name a project I want to do now. Like I, you know, it became, you know, and you know, it's like when you start out with music, oh, I want to get a hundred plays on my next track. Right. And then it's a thousand and then it's 10,000 and da da da. And same thing, you know, for me, it was like, oh, I want to release a sample pack. Okay. I did that. Oh, I want to release a sample pack with a sound label. Okay. I did that. All right. I want to, you know, and like reaching for the moon here. Like I want to put a sample pack on splice boom done and then you know like did all this crazy stuff and i got to the point of like i don't know what i want to do now yeah Mm -hmm. but i feel like most of the time i spent doing that was sort of wasted especially early on because i wasn't getting any credit for it so Mm -hmm. like i would do these projects but it gets released under that banner of whatever sound label or whatever you know i don't get anything i just get my check and congratulations kid see you next month Mm -hmm. so yeah it kind of came clear to me that just like i don't know that doing all these client gigs has ever led to anything. Like I, I still have a hard time naming a time where I did a project and that led to something bigger. It's Mm -hmm. always been because of my channel and because of my own work that, you know, something new has come up. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do this YouTube thing for real. And this month has been my best month on YouTube ever, which is crazy because all the videos I put out recently too, were ones I really wanted to do. It was like, all right, I'm done doing like, the generic music tube stuff. I'm over it. I've done that to death. And there's too many channels doing that. You know, I want to do my thing. And I've gained more subscribers than I ever have. I've gotten more views than I ever have. My watch time is way up. So it's, it was kind of an interesting lesson. Now I'm kind of trying to think in, you know, that moonshot goal again of like, how do I break that music tube barrier? Ceiling. Yeah. Well, one thing I was going to ask you is about YouTube shorts. I was looking at your most popular video and it's the, uh, it's a short that's funny, it's sh- isn't it? It's a short. Yeah. And so we're, you know, we're running the sound iron YouTube channel and we're kind of like fooling around with shorts and like, they're not this, worth it. It's this good. Is this bad? <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, I was, I was going to ask you, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, my first million but it is a entrepreneur podcast about how people got their first million dollars. And Hmm. it's a really great podcast with two like 30 mid thirties guys who are just like total goofballs. Um, (laughs) But they, they uh, go back and forth with, I believe it was Colin and Samir and they were talking about how they got so much YouTube growth in the last year. And they were saying it's because of YouTube shorts and they were like YouTube shorts, like you can't monetize them, I guess, but Nope. Um, there's like a, there's like a huge amount of subscriber growth that they saw specifically from those like very viral videos. My problem with that, and this is something I learned early on with YouTube is, uh, so going to that, when I first started YouTube, I did like serum tutorials and whatever, because that's what everyone was doing. So yeah. I, that was how I built my audience. But the problem was I was building an audience, not the audience. And that was the exact same thing I noticed with shorts. My, my most popular video on my YouTube channel after all the hours and all the sweat I put into it was made in 30 seconds pointing my damn phone at a keyboard. And that has, I think it's closing in on a million views. I've earned exactly $0 from that, right. by the way. So thanks, YouTube. But it's the same thing. I got a 
ton of subscribers from that short, but they're there for shorts. Sure. They're not there to really inform anything or do anything. So it's shorts work if you're doing content that's meant to be consumable and not necessarily like digested. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you're doing education and, and I think kind of at the end of the day, that's what I consider myself is an educator on mm-hmm. YouTube. That is my role is to like teach you a thing or, you know, whatever. But that's not what shorts are there for. You know, you can do some things like what happens if you mix baking soda with vinegar? Oh, my God. Like, sure. But science. Yeah. With even the thumbnail that, of an explosion. They're like, exactly. Oh, but even that is just consumable content. It's shit you flick through and you never watch again. And, you know, you subscribe for more shorts like that. And that's the thing is there's in my mind, there are only so many things I can teach you in 60 seconds or less. And most of the time with YouTube shorts, and this is from YouTube, like I had a meeting with YouTube about shorts and whatever. I got invited to one of those things. Oh, cool. And what stuck out to me was that they recommend shorts be 20 seconds or less. So think about that for a moment as an educator. What can I teach you about music, an infinitely complex subject, in 20 seconds? Mm -hmm. And you can, you know, hey, here's how to play a major nine chord, or here's a really cool scale for trap, or something. I could totally do that. But what kind of audience am I growing with that? It's Mm -hmm. really basic surface level stuff that's not going to evolve or grow or change as a medium. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as much as it grates me, I am fine sticking to more of a longer format because I feel like it works and it's more valuable. And like shorts are meant for, you know, LOL, my dog farted and that's great. And that really record it, sound design it. Yeah. And you can, how I did it. Boom. Come to the, yeah, you can make some insane views and stuff off that, but it's not the type of audience that I think is really there for the long haul because YouTube shorts are going to change as soon as TikTok goes out of business or changes or whatever. It's whatever the next new thing is. It's yeah. I don't know. It's kind of like, It goes back to the Spotify algorithm. You know, if you make music for a Spotify algorithm, your artistic career is defined by the algorithm. It's not defined by your artistic inclinations or integrity. Mm -hmm. And I think YouTube shorts is the same thing. As soon as that evolves, you got to change your content too. And there's so much that you can't put in 20 seconds. You can't put in sort of subtext or body language or the subtleties of the way someone presents information. You just can't really do that in a 20 second format. And I think those are the things that establish an audience for the long haul. You know, one of the sort of funny things I learned was like reviews, you know, like every YouTuber for a while, I did reviews on stuff because companies send me, you know, I've got like 400 boxes in this room of like gear that people send me or pedals or plugins or whatever. So, you know, I'd get a thing, I'd I'd give my thoughts on it, whatever. And uh, I did a review that pissed a bunch of people off. Um, I talked about a synth and I was like, it's really cool. It's really powerful. And on paper, this is like one of the most exceptionally powerful pieces of equipment you can own right now. But it sucks to use. It's just not fun. And mind you, and this was only like a year or so ago that I did this video. This was the last review and I hadn't done a review in a long time. But I really wanted to talk about this synth because I was like, it's important that I think someone puts out a video about this. And of course, I want to remain as objective and unbiased as possible. And I'm coming to this with you know, like two decades of experience in music and whatever, and the better part of a decade doing like, you know, sound designy stuff and working with synths. And by this point, I had already done a bunch of big projects. So by most metrics, I know what I'm talking about. Right. And I'm, trust me, this thing is just not that fun. It really isn't, you know, compared to something else. This one is just not fun. It's- and that's your subjective opinion. And you have every right to have that opinion. Yeah. So it was just like, from my standpoint, just no. Not my thing. Don't like it. Mm -hmm. Sorry. And 
Oh my God. I mean, like I got like death threats over this video. It was so funny. And it became clear that people don't want a review. They want to hear their same thoughts in my voice. That's promotional. You know? stuff. Yeah, they want you to convince them to buy it because they're well, on the fence. <laughs> but or... consider though, the people that were so mad about this already own the product. They came to my video or sent me messages. You're an idiot. You don't know. This is the greatest synth ever, dumbass. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because why do the people who own a product watch a review of that product? It's because they want that tribalism. They want someone to tell them, you bought thing, thing, good, you smart, buy thing. <laughs> and while that works, I'm not, you know, I'm just not interested in that. I'm not here mm-hmm. to be your echo chamber. I'm, yeah. I was here to give you my review of this thing, and I, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you I liked it because there's way too many channels out there that do that. You know, mm-hmm. you get paid, you say nice things about stuff. And I've had some offers, especially after I got to the point of like, you know, 70, 80,000 subscribers or whatever. Companies will throw a lot of money at you. And it really calls into question, like, you know, seeing it from that side of things. You know, now every time you watch reviews, you're kind of like, hmm. You're all wondering how you much know. you got paid. He's saying some real nice shit. I wonder if he. And that's uh... the thing. <laughs> and that works. If your goal is to be a YouTuber, it's understood that that's how you do YouTube. You get sponsors, you get sponsored videos. So it makes sense if your goal is to be a YouTuber full time to accept payment and get free stuff and make money. You know, that's the goal. So that's why I'm glad you know, as long as it took me to get to where I am, I had established such a network of other skills and income revenues or whatever to where I've never been dependent on YouTube. And still, you know, whatever I make off AdSense is just like, it just goes into my savings account. Like, I don't care. It's not relevant. And I'm really glad I did things that way because I don't have to play that game of like, Mm -hmm. okay, you know, I got to eat this month and I got to pay my bills. So I'm going to have to get this thing and say nice things about it. And that, I don't know, that's a real problem with YouTube anymore. (laughs) I think moving away from reviews and moving toward like educational content that you're more interested in was a good move because you're building a personal brand that way. Like people don't really recognize and like uh, want to hire a reviewer if they see him uh, walking on the street at Nam. <laughs> exactly. And that's, and that's the thing. Like I have nothing against those channels. Like, you know, loop op or whatever he does mm-hmm. reviews and whatever. Um, pretty sure he doesn't get paid for them or whatever still. Cause I think he did sort of a similar thing uh, with his book where, you know, he updates his book and like, that's brilliant. I think that's a, a great format, but I'm glad that loop op exists. And I think other YouTubers are as well, because I don't have to make that video now. When I got my Arturia Polybrute, I did not feel compelled to do a 45-minute walkthrough of everything that this does. Yeah, let's play through every patch. (laughs) Instead, I can look at this and say, what do I want to do with this? And I think that was, especially, yeah, in like the last two years when I really started changing how I do my channel, that was what I thought of. was like, okay, Ricky Tinez, phenomenal channel, covers all sorts of great shit. So I don't need to be Ricky Tinez. I don't need to do that format. Loopop does all the walkthroughs. So I don't need to walk you through stuff. If you want to do that, you can go to his channel. So that frees me up so much creatively to just zoom out bigger picture. What do I want to talk about today? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, every time I get a piece of gear, it's nice that like I've gotten to a point where companies, you know, still send me stuff, which is awesome, you know, (laughs) and and it's really great because now my wife can't yell at me when things show up in boxes because I'm like, ha I didn't have to pay for it. Uh, You want to see the email? They sent it to me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So now every time stuff shows up, I'm just like, oh, yeah, oh, just being an internet sensation. Oh, that sucks. (laughs) But yeah, so, you know, now it's awesome because when I get this stuff, there's no obligation. 
you know, I don't, I don't have to talk about it. I don't have to show it if I don't want to. If I don't like it, I send it back. And I send back tons of gear because I just don't vibe with it. It's not my thing. Don't like it. Thanks. Return label. And then the stuff I do end up keeping, I'm so free to be like, okay, what is an interesting subject that has to do with this to some degree? Or like, what's a, a topic surrounding this that might be interesting to explore? Or what is this piece of gear really good at as like a musical concept? So that's been my thing too, is like when I get stuff or plugins or when I come up with an idea, I want to make sure it's as agnostic as possible for DAWs, plugins, gear. It's just, it has to be something that everyone can replicate to some extent, you know? And of course there's exceptions now and again, but that's, you know, in the case where I know it's going to be a good video, I'll go with it. But most of the time I try to keep things like, okay, by the end of this video, here's the takeaway and it should not require that you own or have or whatever these things you know you should be able to replicate this yourself or at least take an idea away from it that you can go try yeah which is great because then i think that's helped sort of insulate what i'm doing and my channel from everything Mm -hmm. else i don't have to play the game that i was playing now i'm free to just you know i'm gonna make a venus theory video about this and i think that's the nice thing is you know lupop has his format ben jordan has his format you know everyone has got their thing and now i can just have mine so I can, you know, again, just think of things as what makes what makes this into the Venus theory video about this. Speaking of insulating a channel, have you thought about turning comments off all the time? Oh, my God. The <laughs> comment section is just a nightmare. And like I have some really good moderators who help with that. But OK, good. Yeah, it's just and it's funny. Like, you know, you get so many great comments, but you just get a few that are like, oh, my God, dude. And, you know, and like I said, I, I get like death threats and shit. I've had people that are like stalkers. I had people like go back through my Instagram and find my wife and start like harassing mm. her. Whoa. And it's funny because it's like there's a lot of very divisive content out there, you know, regarding a lot of subjects, you know, political, religious or otherwise. So those are the channels that, you know, you would think get like death threats. You thought I'm going to find you and skin your cat or whatever. But here I am making like music theory videos and that warrants death threats. Like, right. are you kidding right. me? It's awful. Yeah. I don't know. Comments is one of those things. It's just, it's a fact of life. And I feel like one of the things I learned, um, it was a podcast or a book or something, but it was talking about dealing with just sort of this online criticism and whatever. And the litmus test of it has to be, do I respect this person or anything they've accomplished? And virtually every time, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, every once in a while there is a valid criticism, but it's often, again, it's from someone who like, I respect what they're doing or their accomplishments, or they obviously know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And like in those situations, I'm happy to stand corrected, but most of the time it's just outright hateful, stupid garbage. And it's like, okay, you're just, you're just angry, you know, whatever. And you're, and you're going to sit there and be angry. And I'm not going to fix that. So there's no point in me wasting my day replying to you or trying to convince you. I can't remember what it was. I was listening to it was like a Wu-Tang song or something. But there was a line in it of if you don't have any haters, go get some. And I was like, that's such a good way of putting it. You know, when I get these really stupid comments, it's like, okay, you, you know, you have nothing to show other than just being angry at the world. And, you know, I was angry at the world, too. I I outright quit music. And like I, I was always that just pissed off, grumpy kid. But I used that to, you know, fuel my ambition to mm-hmm. prove people wrong or whatever. You know, the Dave Mustaine thing to some degree. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of the comments you get are just outright hateful, spiteful people that, you know, I, I think as egotistical as it sounds, a lot of it just has to stem from jealousy or mm-hmm. something, sure. you know. Why are you successful and I'm not? 
And that's the thing. I ask, I ask myself that same question all the time. You know, I look at other artists or channels or filmmakers or whatever, and why do they have that? And I don't. So I'm going to do something about it. You know, I'm going to keep going and keep working at it. I'm not just going to sit there and complain. <laughs> that yeah. doesn't solve anything. That doesn't make me accountable. You're not commenting on their YouTube videos. And th- yeah, that's the other weird part. <laughs> like, I don't know about you guys, but I have never felt compelled to leave like a shitty comment or like, or even dislike a video because like, who has the energy? There's so many other YouTube channels and like videos out there that like, if I don't like a video, I'll just leave. You know, I'm I'm not going to take the time to be like this. And you know, you get those like four paragraph hate comments and it's like, who has the time? Like I got shit to do, man. (laughs) Totally. Well, the reason I asked about the comments is uh, I saw you had, talked about some of the comments with uh your latest album so i don't know if yeah. you could talk about that with you have 13 albums on Bandcamp, which is super impressive. yeah a lot of singles and other stuff and it's funny because i i recently got some shit on like not being a real producer which made me laugh because it's like all like the majority of the music i write is not for you know public consumption and stuff that's in like ads or whatever and like that's that's fine that's how i define my success as a musician i write music that gets placed in like different stuff that's dope <laughs> yeah but yeah like i the whole album the last one i did uh was all about i just had these really bad panic attacks and this just horrible anxiety all the fucking time and you know it became like i don't know what i want to do cuz now it was time to like i really wanted to make a new album but i didn't know what i wanted to make anymore I just did a video about this recently of just like why you can't finish music. Hmm. And it was the same sort of argument of like, I write music all the time, but when it comes to my own music, I just, you know, I don't know anymore. Like I write so much other music that like, what is my music? Uh, you know, (laughs) and to some degree, like it's almost not worth placing the emphasis on that. Like it's so much easier to monetize a career in, you know, library music and stuff. I mean, it's still really, really hard, but you know, there's more money in that. So Mm -hmm. why would I waste my time trying to grind and be just as broke as my other friends who went the like full-time musician route. So with the comments, yeah, I mean, it was just so many ridiculous things I would get in comments about, you know, you're not real, you know, though that's my favorite one. Those who can't do teach. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, dude, but you know, it just eats at you a while. Yeah. They stick with you. Yeah. And you know, you get so many comments and so much stuff and it just became this really bad mindset of like, you know, kind of like we talked about earlier with plays or whatever, my success metric became like, what do people think of me and how many views am I getting? And I was establishing self-worth based on like how many likes I'm getting on a YouTube video. But suddenly those 10 dislikes far outweigh the thousand likes I got. And it just became that mentality again of like, there is no winning because a hundred becomes a thousand becomes 10,000 becomes a hundred thousand, whatever. Like there is no getting away from that mentality. So that was kind of the thing that stuck with me. It was like, okay, this is all I can think about and all I can do. So this, you know, that's all I got right now. I I can't think of anything else because, you know, you have to write from experience. If you want to make like a personal work of art, you can't just, you know, you could slap together some shit, but then it's not really speaking your truth exactly. So that was kind of the thing. Like that was the only thing on my mind. So I wanted to transform all that into like what is like my mental state right Mm -hmm. now and what does it sound like? So that was that whole album was just like trying to figure out like the feeling of having like a panic attack or like those nights when you're up just pacing around the kitchen at four in the fucking morning. (laughs) Like, what does that feel like? Mm -hmm. And that was, that was the whole thing with that album was like, it's not about form or structure necessarily. It's just about feeling, you know, it's not about harmony. It's not about melody. It's all about just that texture and how does this sonic palette feel? And that's always something that's fascinated me. And I think that's why I've always really been interested in sound design as well as like, you know, why does a melody feel 
lonely or why does a you know why does a drum kit feel explosive or why does a pad feel cold why can a vocal melody make you nostalgic you know that was kind of that whole album was an experiment in sonic texture where it was sort of this collage of different moods and ideas and whatever and it it was a lot of work (laughs) it was a very experimental album too i mean that was a lot of weird sound design techniques and stuff which is funny because then i release it and then i get a bunch more shit of like you just make stuff with reverb on it and it's like okay (laughs) then you do it screw you man reverb is badass exactly that's the thing is like (laughs) if i just put reverb on a bunch of stuff then you could make this album too so like where's yours and that that, that's always something that stood out to me one time i was in art class as like a you know stupid 12 year old or whatever and uh our art teacher was given a presentation on like modern art and there was some painting by some artist of it was just a blank white canvas right it was just I don't even know if it was painted. It might have just been a blank canvas. And it was like, mm-hmm. you know, this sold for a gajillion dollars at some French gallery. And I remember saying something, you know, to the effect of like, that's stupid. Like, that's just that's objectively dumb, you know, whatever. And my teacher said, well, they did it and you didn't. <laughs> and that's always something that stuck with me of like, there, there is no wrong. There's just a fact that I did it, you know. So that was the thing when I got a bunch of blowback on the like, it's just ambient fluff. And it's like, OK, then go do it. You know, where's your ambient album? If you're apparently the master of all things music, please, you know, share. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The peanut gallery is loud. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's it, it goes back to the cheese pizza thing. There's always this divisiveness that you create. But the people that enjoy something enjoy it, it like explosively and deeply. They're so passionate about these things. And that was funny because it was like I made the most money I've ever made off an album with that album. You know, it did really, really well It whatever. And it was funny that just no matter what, there is no winning, but I don't care. And that was the whole thing. It was, it was just this cathartic exercise of like, all right, I'm just going to get this shit out and it's done. And now I'm moving on. So now I'm already working on new stuff. I had yeah. another like EP that was supposed to come out in spring, but here we are in July and I still haven't done that yet. <laughs> yeah. My next question was going to be, uh, what's a personal project you're excited about right now? A couple sound design projects I'm really, really excited about, but I can't like say anything about. So, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> you know, I've got some really cool gigs coming up with that. Um, I've got some new music on the way. I need to finish this project. I've been working on this thing. I don't really know what I'm going to call it yet, but like, you know, I write a lot of not like stock music, but, you know, cinematic music and stuff. So I wanted to put together like a collection of moods and sort of explore the ideas I did on my last album as my next release. So I wanted to do this thing called like auras where auras one is like spring and auras two is summer. So it's sort of themes and moods of like, you know, the headspace I was at at the time. So I had the spring one I have done, you know, it was kind of like, what is the soundtrack of when you see that big shelf cloud rolling in and then it's like raining really heavy or what is, you know, what is that late night when you're out driving with the windows down, you know, feel like Mm -hmm. or whatever. So that's the next project I'm working on musically. That's cool currently working on some other stuff but i'm having a really hard time with it because like i want to do this auras project as just an ongoing release just because i feel like it's a good way to force myself to do venus theory stuff and i'm working on another album in the background but i've been having a really hard time with plugins lately just because i'm so bored of them (laughs) so right now i'm actually shopping for a drum machine and i think once i have that then i'm going to be ready to start tackling that because i have all this other hardware synth stuff which is awesome but I, I don't know, just every time I have to make drums, I have to use like a plug-in and it just pulls me out of that flow of like, I really like hardware and working with mm-hmm. hardware. It's really slow. It's really expensive. It's really tedious, but there's something about just the more meditative state of it that attracts me to it of like, all right, 32 bar loop with this, boop, 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 
and then run over here and twist some knobs on this thing. All right, cool. And that's like looping. And then I'm going to put that through a reverb and, you know, here's another big bass line and cool. All right. Little sequency thing. Great. But now I'm always like, all right, now drums. And then it's like, I got to go back into the DAW <laughs> and drag in a bunch of kick drums or whatever. And then you should, you should get an electronic drum set back there. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about it. I just don't have the space. And that's the hard part with this room is like, it has to function as like a studio, a writing yeah. space, an office and a filming space. So it's really yeah. hard to like cram gear in here. I really want a piano. I've, I, uh, I've been like so close to buying a piano so many times of like an upright. Right. And I really just want to put it back there, but it's like, I can't have that back there. I need that for shots and I can't put it, you know, downstairs cause I can't record anything downstairs. So <laughs> yeah. That'll probably be something later on. But yeah, I really want to get a drum machine next because I, I have the Polyend tracker, which I really, really like, but it's all sample based. So okay. that's kind of tedious to have to like, okay, I got to pick some samples, put it on the SD card, load it onto that. And then I got to go in and go through like 700 folders to like find the drums I want. So right now I'm kind of torn on like either the Electron Syntact or a Pulsar 23, but that's really expensive <laughs> or something else. The Roland uh, TR8S also seems really, really tempting. Yeah, I don't know. So I think that's going to be my next musical venture is I really want to do just an album of like hardware stuff because I, I don't know. I just I vibe with that so much more and it's so much easier to like make the stuff I want to make because it forces you to move forward. And I feel like doing sound design for so long now, anytime I'm in the DAW, I just get lost in tweak land. Yeah, which I feel like I feel like every producer suffers from that. Now there's a million options for anything mm-hmm. and it's exhausting after a while because you just you know, you don't make music. You just make loops. the the mix is never done it's just you have deadlines yeah no exactly and that's the thing like i feel like i work so much faster with that stuff of just like all right i've got four hours to work on a track before we've got to go out to dinner or something and like Mm -hmm. with hardware i feel like i can make a good track in a couple hours and have it mixed and done but with plugins it's just like oh you know what if the what if the envelope was like a little different here? Like, oh, what if I, and then, you know, you spend $400 on more plugins because you're like, oh, I, I wish I had a, I wish I had a filter that did that, or I want a, a delay that does this thing. And then, you know, $700 later, here you are with a bunch of plugins you don't know what to do with. And you're sitting there going through your kick drum folder going boom, 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 yeah, boom. Yeah. yeah. I know so many times I forget what, what plugins I have. Like, I'm just like, oh yeah, you get it like on impulse real quick. And then you're like, what the fuck was the name of that plugin? And then you're just like trying to go through and find it. Like That was what I had when I, I got this new computer. When I bought my new computer, I was very intentional about like, what am I actually going to reinstall? Because it was like, what do I need? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, and especially since YouTube, like I get every plugin now, every plugin that comes out, somebody sends it to me. So I have like licenses for every plugin under the sun. <laughs> So, of course, you know, doing videos, I would install them, do a video with it, da 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 da, da and then sometimes I'd uninstall it, sometimes I'd forget. So I got to that point, too, where it's like, oh, yeah, what was that thing? You know, it was really good at that, but what was it called? So, you know, and funny enough, it came back to the same thing of, like, whenever I was actually really sitting down to make music or whatever, I would use the same five plugins I've been using for the last, like, ten years anyway. Yep. <laughs> So, you know, that was this. Yeah. When I got this new computer, that was it. I was just like, I wrote in a notebook. I actually sat down and forced myself to write out like, what plugins do I remember the names of? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, which ones do I actually use all the time? Okay. Did it. And it was, yeah, like the same five, 10 plugins I've always been using. Mm-hmm. And same with hardware. Like I have all this stuff now and I don't use most of it. I use the same, you know, three or four pieces of gear that I really like that I've always really liked because mm-hmm. it just gets stuff done. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a weird time we live in when you know between splice and you know all the subscription plug-in options where you can have like you know for ten dollars a month you get 500 different eqs <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. so it's, yeah. 
it's weird. We always just have this option paralysis and it's something you have to be very cognizant of, of just like, if I'm going to actually make linear progress in like start, middle and end of a song, mm-hmm. what am I going to use to make that happen? And it's funny because that's the hardware thing for me is it's always like with plugins and in the DAW, there's always another option or always another way of doing things. But hardware is very rigid. This thing makes these sounds and that's it. You know, if I want another sound, I need to use this other piece of gear, but it doesn't do what this one does. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a matter of like good enough. You know, I I just did an experiment the other night because I've been having sort of that same kind of writer's block mentality lately. I gave myself 20 minutes to sit down and make a track. And I had my wife come up because we were about to go to the gym. And I played her one of my favorite artists just to give her kind of a parameter of like, okay, you know, this is what I really like. And this is kind of the, you know, the sound I'm after. And in 20 minutes, I'd put together, I think it was like seven tracks maybe six. I don't know. It really wasn't much because, you know, it's not a lot of time. Put that together, played it for and she was like, yep, sounds good. And it was such a, (laughs) you know, kind of rock on the head moment of like, you know, damn, I am just overthinking like everything all the time because (laughs) and that was it. It, it, By forcing myself to do music in 20 minutes, it was just a matter of what's good enough. Yeah. You know, here's a baseline. Okay. You know, maybe that needs tweaked later, but for now this will work. All right. Pad on top. And then by the time you know, you're three or four steps deep. You don't give a shit about the baseline anymore. It sounds good. You built the rest of the song around it. You know, maybe you tweak a filter or something, but by and large, it's done. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's the whole, I don't know, that's the key to getting music done is just learning to find that threshold of like, yeah, that's that'll work, you know? Yeah. And that's most of the artists I know, the most prolific music makers I know who crap out like 14 tracks a day on their SoundCloud or something. That's their whole workflow is just like, yep, uh, it's a drum kit, you know? Yeah, here's a little bit of EQ. Yeah, good enough. But, you know, they have such an insane output that it's like, I can't argue with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Have you ever like had those conversations with people like I was talking with um, a drummer friend of mine and it's just like how gear and stuff just gets like so much more like convoluted as the years go on. Like when like when we're kids and we're playing guitar, it's like, yeah, I wrote all this stuff on this one guitar and it was like 200 bucks. You know, it's like your output is like so much more with like minimal stuff, but it's like as the years go on, like, how is it somehow it becomes harder to do more? You would think oh, I have all this cool stuff. I can like make everything I ever wanted. But yeah. like, I feel like now it's it's like, why is it? Why does it seem more difficult when it's like you have all, you know, because like especially when you're first getting into like the home studio and like looking for plugins, you're like, oh, man, if I had that plugin, I can make my drums sound so badass. Like, and yeah, and well, it does. It becomes the the Metallica thing. If yeah. I only had this, yeah, then I'm there. And I think and it, that's the, you know, that's the marketing thing of all of music is if you want that pro sound, the only thing that stands you between you and that is 199 across three easy payments, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's <laughs> yeah. 29.99. Yeah. For only 29.99, you too can mix with the pros. <laughs> da, 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 da. And it's, yeah, it's funny. I, one of the last pieces of gear I bought was the Waldorf Iridium. And I mean, that's like the Cadillac of synthesizers. It does. I mean, it does everything. I was going to yeah. buy a Korg Op 6, but I was like, ah, you know, it's just an FM synth. It's really, really fun. But I was like, ah, you know, it just does FM. And I, I kind of need something as like a workstation. So I bought the Iridium and like, oh, my God, it does everything I could think of doing. And it has like a gajillion voices and effects and whatever. And I don't really use it that much. Yeah. Like for sound design, I use it all the time because like, that's the only synth that lives on my desk because like when I'm doing something, that's the thing I go to. And most of the time doing sound design work, I use plugins, but when I have a bit more time, I always use the Iridium because it'll Mm -hmm. do 
anything I want. But yeah, then it comes to like making music. I pull out the, you know, the modal cobalt or, you know, the polybrute. Now that I have this here, like the polybrute is a really good compromise of usability and complexity. Mm-hmm. Whereas the iridium, it's the same thing as like plug-in land. Whenever I open the iridium in a session, if I'm trying to write, I just get lost in sound design because it does so much. And yeah, it's like, you know, why can't I just lay down a bass line like I used to and just plunk along this? Here's some drums, like a loop and whatever. And boom, here's a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the iridium for me, like as much as I hate to say it, it's a preset machine. Yeah. But, you know, luckily having a lot of ex- experience in sound design or whatever, I built up such an insane amount of patches on this that like, I have a bunch of presets, but they're all like my things. And that's the other thing I don't like too, is people, people get so mad about presets anymore. I don't understand it. Like I, (laughs) I don't know. I I have a really hard time of thinking of times in a session where it was actually truly beneficial to do some sound design for really modern, heavy, like neurofunk or something like that. Sure. You need to do a lot of tweaking, but even then most of the time you can condense all those effects and chains and whatever into like a plugin preset where, you know, you group it together in Ableton or whatever and put a saw wave through it and suddenly it's this like huge, insane neuro base. Yeah, I've never understood the argument against presets because whenever I'm in a session, I can pull up a preset and it sounds either like the sound I want or close enough where I can tweak two or three things and move on with my day. Yeah, I feel like uh, the preset hate is mostly from bedroom producers. Like if you look at the pros, they're scrolling through presets and they're like, all right, I played three things and I like this sound and we're going to run with that for, for now because they're trying and to It becomes the good enough thing. Once yep. again, every time it's always like, eh, yeah, it's like, you know, that, that bass is cool. Sure. Whatever. Let's just do it. Yeah, it works. And yeah, that's the I don't know. I feel like there's always this competition and I feel like it just becomes defined by like vanity metrics or how much work you put in and i feel (laughs) like neither of those really truly matter because like does it sound good well yeah like when i when i show music to my wife that's always my test like whenever i'm working on a client project or whatever i show her the song and if she goes yep then i know it's good enough because she does not care does she ever like give you some real like slap in the face no that's mm -mm. yeah um like which is fun because it's it's good to hear when she's really direct with that kind of stuff, because it's like, oh, okay, you know, and it's such a, but it's from a totally different perspective. Exactly. Because I'm listening to something and every time I'm always like, oh, this, you know, the, the, the mid range transient on the kick is not punchy enough or like mm-hmm. the, I don't know, the 7k on the reverb send is a little brittle. Maybe I could throw some, you know, da, 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 da. And like, oh, the mastering, oh, I should tweak this or the, the wave table. Oh, I should. You know, I should change mm-hmm. the phase of these partials and that'll that'll make it sound better. But then she listens to it. She's like, yeah, you know, it sounds like everything else. And then she like, and then she doesn't give a shit and she leaves. But yeah, every once in a while, you know, she's like, oh, the you know, I like it. But when the piano comes in, it's boring. Yeah. Like it sounds off. Like, like yeah, that, that, that works like that. for me because like that. I mean, it's like, you know, like they have that like that whole thing of listening to music with someone in the room. And it's like that's always like a nice little trick to kind of like think about the music in a different way because you're almost like listening to it with them like oh i wonder what they're thinking yeah this part exactly like- and that's the thing is whenever she has some feedback it's usually it's super direct it's super harsh and it just guts you but then you it just forces you to step back and be like it's good oh yeah okay like i get it yeah the piano is too sappy or trite or whatever or like oh yeah the strings are you know or she's just that's too loud mm-hmm. or like that you know that's too boring or that's you know or she you know i can tell when she just like gets on her phone like okay so maybe it needs a bit more something something like i lost i lost her somewhere yeah yeah exactly and and that's important you know when you're writing 30 second ad music or whatever it has to be like 
da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, and with my own music, you know, obviously it's a bit more experimental at times or whatever or, you know, more electronic. And that's not really her thing. Mm-hmm. But it's good to have her listen to it and go like, oh, okay, I like that or like the mix. You know, because she knows enough to be like, the mix sounds good. Or like, oh, the drums are too loud. But mm-hmm. she doesn't know enough to be like, oh, there's too much 400 hertz on the baseline. Like, she doesn't fucking care. <laughs> yeah. And that's the kind of, he's like, you don't really need that. That's not really what you're trying to, like, get that other, you know. you know, It's kind of like when you're trying to show music to, to a friend and they're like, this sounds like a mixture of this band and this band. You're like, that's not helping me. That's not what I'm asking you. Totally. Like, I don't need you to like, but it's it's so easy to want to just go into like instant compare mode because your brain is like, what can I relate this to? It's like seeing shadows. Like that looks like a person. Like, you know, it's like your brain is always kind of trying to like figure things out and put stuff together and like relate it to what you know. And it's like, I, just how does it make you feel or or that sort of thing? It's like that's almost like better. And it's really good to get feedback from like other producers now and again, but yeah. we always, we always produce for other producers. Mm-hmm. We're not thinking about the big picture. A lot of the time is like, what is the audience going to think? Mm-hmm. Because they don't care at all, yeah. you know, and especially in this day and age with so much music out there, like they're just going to like it or they're not. Yeah. So that's all that really matters. So, you know, uh, that metric of like, I, I didn't use any presets to make this like the, the, you know, my wife doesn't know what presets are. She doesn't care. You know, she doesn't listen to Lizzo or whatever and go like, oh, you know, I wonder if they used 1176 on Lizzo's vocal chain here or something like that. You know, right, that's an omnisphere patch. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, but that's how we listen to music. Yeah. yeah. Well, like every time you watch like a documentary, you hear the uh, what's the preset from omnisphere, the, the light bulb piano. And like all producers know that sound <laughs> yeah. or like, you know, OTT, you know, when we hear like a big dubstep, bass, you're just like, OK, I hear I can hear the OTT on that. Like every every uh, that waterphone sound that was used in like every reality show for like, yeah, I don't know, like 20 years. Like, like every time there's dramatic, stuff. like, oh, my God, like <laughs> using sound for like everything. <laughs> but yeah, but it's effective and it works. And that's the that's the metric that I think really matters is like, just does it function? You know, is it good to listen to? And that's the end of it. You know, it's so yeah. easy to get trapped in all these like we look at things from such a different perspective that it's often not actually useful. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, there's certainly a time and place for that kind of more detailed analysis. But like, who are you making music for then? Yeah. Sometimes you nerd out too hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you just get lost in it. And sometimes that's beneficial. But a lot of the times, yeah, just it doesn't it doesn't really contribute to the broader goal of like, I want people to listen to this and enjoy it. Because most people have such a low threshold for what is like acceptable as music. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's like you can't make everyone happy. And like, you know, for me, it was always like, I want to create my own favorite band, like any music or project ever did. It was like, I like, like what if like I created a thing that was like all the stuff I wanted to hear that this band didn't do like, Oh man, like if they would have did more of that, that would have been cool. Like, well, Hey, well I can combine all these different elements that I like and make my own favorite thing. Like no one else can do that. You know? Yeah. It might sound like other bands, but it's like, this is for me. Like this makes me excited when I hear it. I'm trying to remember where I read this, but there was an article a long time ago in some magazine of a uh, sound garden, uh, the guitarist, uh, Kim Tyle, I think is how his name is pronounced. He talked about how, um, I'm not the greatest guitar player in the world, but I'm the best at what I do. And I'm mm-hmm. comfortable with that. And I think that's the thing is like, ultimately as artists and musicians, we're just a summation of our influences. Exactly. Of like, oh, I like this, but I like this aspect of what they do, but I like mm-hmm. this aspect of this other thing. So that that amalgamation is what defines you. Mm-hmm. And I, I just had this last night. I <laughs> And it's so like, I don't know, you get every time that goalpost moves throughout your career, no matter mm-hmm. what you're doing every time. So last night I worked on a track got it done and sent it to a friend of mine. And I was like, Hey man, you know, like, is this good? 
which is funny. It's like, I, you know, I'm sure my music sounds fine. I've been doing mm-hmm. this a long time now. Like, I'm sure it's good. But, you know, I'd been listening to so much other stuff. I was like, is it too derivative? Is it da 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 And he listened to it. And he's like, yeah, just add like another sequence and it's good, dude. And it was like, okay, God damn it. Like, I need to. Uh, just need to like let it roll because that's the thing you know it, it's way easy to get sucked into that of like i don't sound enough like this artist or mm-hmm. whatever and it, yeah i just thought that was really funny that when i said on that last night he was like yep sounds good <laughs> you know change one or two things add another sequence ship it done and it was just like yeah you know it's it's crazy that we always just get stuck in these weird cycles of like who are we producing for and what are we defining as a good track but yeah, yeah. deadlines in the end i think that's the that's the ultimate cure-all is when you just have to get <laughs> something done that's when you're just like you don't even care anymore you're just like yep boop, 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 and some chords and you know ozone and boop done okay ship it cool yeah <laughs> i love deadlines could you tell us about some of your hobbies and interests outside of music uh photography uh haven't done that much anymore uh, i just don't have the time to and you, you shoot know, photography sony? uh yeah now i have the sony i have a sony a7 III. so i used to do photography i used to shoot uh concerts um i did a couple wedding gigs and then you know just for fun like i would go take pictures at places or go on a hike and take pictures which was really fun uh the problem is photography is just such an expensive hobby and you know music is also a very expensive hobby yeah <laughs> so you gotta pick your poison yeah so <laughs> that was yeah, that was something I kind of got out of. Um, it's something I still really enjoy. And, you know, something I still every once in a while, like I'll take a couple pictures, but it's not ever anything I share. I've thought about doing that of like, oh, you know, I should like share my pictures on my Instagram or whatever. But I don't know. It's just one of those things I enjoy like myself and I don't want to talk about really enjoy cooking, you know, like trying different stuff and different recipes and whatever. That's super fun. Uh, go hiking all the time with the dogs, cool. uh, which is nice. I'm, I'm very like allergic to people, so I don't really do any you know, anything. You're a hermit. Much. Yeah. yeah. So we go hiking a lot. Um, haven't been able to do that much lately though. Cause it's been like, I think for the last two weeks or so, it's been over a hundred degrees every day Oh wow. with like heat index and whatever, you know, it's 110, 115. So it's brutal here. So do that. And then, uh, reading and stuff, not really into fiction or anything. I read a lot more books on like philosophy and psychology and things like that, like playing video games, watching movies, that sort of stuff. And I think it's all you know, it's all part of the bigger picture. It's all a different outlet for me because yeah. like my, my real hobby is music. So like the same thing I do for work is what I do just to kind of chill out. And, you know, same thing with YouTube. And I think it all, it all works out together in the end because it's just a different way to exercise like those creative muscles to where like, you know, I might not be feeling music, but maybe I want to shoot like a video that day. So I get to exercise, you know, cinematography and lighting and da 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 or you know, I want to make something, but I don't know what I want to do. So I might go cook, you know, try a different chili recipe or make like some really bomb tacos or something. Nice. Um, you know, or otherwise just like get out, you know, go to a park and just walk around all day and that kind of stuff. And that's pretty much it. You know, I don't really do a whole lot outside that. I don't go to concerts. I don't go to events. You know, sometimes I try and go to Nashville, but then I remember why I don't like going to Nashville. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Totally understand that. Uh, sweet. Well, I just have a few more quick questions for sure. you, and then we can wrap this. The first question is a favorite YouTube channel, podcast, or TV show at the moment, something that you're enjoying. Mm, I really like Becky and Chris. I love their YouTube channel. Uh, yeah. They do. Matt Black uh, like, Everything? Yeah, yeah. Matt Black Everything. Yeah, so they have some really good videos on like home improvement and cinematography and photography and all that stuff. So I really like their channel. Um, mm-hmm. Matt Diavella is probably one of my favorite YouTubers. I really just love his like format and his flow. And that's kind of what I aspire to do with my own channel. Um, Ricky Tina's, of course, love his channel. Ben Jordan, love his channel. 
uh, Signs of Life has some really good stuff for like ambient music. I mean, there's a ton of awesome channels out there. Um, yeah, kind of outside that space of music and whatever. I really like, you know, Donut Operator or stuff like that, which is kind of funny. Soviet Womble, of course. I love the like stupid gamer memes and whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> Count Dankula too. I love Count Dankula's channel. The the Absolute Mad Lad series is amazing. It's such a good like storytelling history lesson sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I watch a ton of music YouTube too. So, you know, Guy Michael Moore and all of those things. So that's that's kind of my definition of what I want is I want to be the Guy Michael Moore slash Matt Diavella of what I do. <laughs> that's a good Yeah, that's a great combo. Yeah, if I want, I want to combine those two things as music tube, and that's what I want to define my channel as, because I think Andrew Wong did a great job of that with his uh, Space Time uh, series, where it was like, you know, it was almost like a Netflix show. I don't even know how to describe it, but it was such a yeah. cool idea that, like, you know, YouTube is not a fixed medium. Mm-hmm. It could be what you want it to be. So that was kind of my thing is like, I want to try and figure out my own definition of what my music tube could be. So, yeah, and it was that was interesting too, because it was kind of like, him burning out and that was the way he like did a burnout (laughs) yeah and it was such a cool idea and that was like you know that was the thing that's always stuck with me is like when i started youtube it was all about uh sadowick i I fucking love sadowick's channel um seamless are one of my other favorite channels absolutely love but you know the stuff they were doing was like guy with a webcam talking at a computer for an hour And that worked, but it was, you know, that format was kind of dying because everyone mm-hmm. was doing that. So then, you know, Cymatics or whoever came along with more flashy videos and whatever. And now we have, you know, all the cinematography YouTubers. Casey all Neistat, the, I think, is a great example. Peter McKinnon. Yeah, Peter McKinnon's amazing. David Hillowitz has a great channel. You know, even, even some like really small YouTubers I watch have just amazing cinematography and stuff now, which is great. So I think that's kind of a, a cool thing that YouTube has shifted into that direction to where YouTube can be, although it is a lot more effort, it can be a more interesting platform. It doesn't have to to be just like low quality things people filmed with a cell phone <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah the barrier to entry on the gear has gone down a lot just nice yeah but this i don't know the effort and the skill level required is now like exponentially higher we're like you know to make like a venus theory video for instance i mean we're talking tens of thousands of dollars of lighting and lenses and equipment and sliders and gimbals and lenses and all that so <laughs> not to mention your labor yeah. And yeah, like video editing takes forever. And then, you know, the microphones and learn and then learning how to put it all together. Like it's easy. It's easy to shoot a video. It's really hard to make a good video, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, yeah. yeah. And and that's the other thing people don't see is like how many videos I've shot that never came out. There's a lot that were just like, this is not a good video. <laughs> you got the B sides. I've really enjoyed your video content because like, especially quality wise, like it's, you know, because we, I think we watch a lot of the same channels of like cinematography guys or video guys, and like I've always felt like yours has like this really nice look. Oh, uh, good. Just, like, especially <laughs> with like, here. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like a nerd for that stuff too, like lighting and like angles and like why was this shot this way or like you know how you have certain little you know practicals or things like all like the set design, like how you, mm-hmm. how you said like it's a workroom, but it's also like a set, you know, and that's kind of the way you need to think about it. But yeah, I've always really like. How, how your your videos are shot they have this like really like uh, soft look like I, I think i've even seen like did you you experiment with like using like smoke uh every once in a while i have like some filters on lenses um whoops sorry i have a bunch of like vintage lenses i use uh these are m42 lenses the old like pentax mount ones mm-hmm. so you can get these for next to nothing but the look from them is incredible like you cannot match it even with like modern you know i have like new lenses that are pretty expensive and they don't look nearly as like cool as these so these this one has like a weird I think it's maybe just like a weird neutral density filter or something. Oh, but okay. 
the way this like reflects light and stuff is amazing. So I use some of those on my other lenses where I have different kind of like filters and whatnot that just give things sort of a different vibe. But a lot of it, I think, just comes from those old lenses, the way they add this sort of haze and like drama. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why they do that. It's just the way that they catch the light is I, I've never seen anything like it in modern lenses. But then, you know, for like talking heads and whatever, I have my like nice, you know, modern autofocus whatevers. But mm-hmm. for the big establishing cinematic shots and whatever, I use these vintage lenses. And that's what gives it that like look because it, it's soft, but it's so clear mm-hmm. at the same time. Like everything is so sharp and so crisp, which is funny because like I think, yeah, this one was my most expensive lens. Of the M42 lenses, and I think I paid sixty dollars. Oh wow! For that. <laughs> so Wait, what are the names a, of those again? Uh, M42. Uh, you can find them on eBay for nothing. Oh wow! So yeah, uh, one time I before we moved from Illinois to Tennessee, we went to a garage sale, and someone had the old Pentax kit from Sears, and it had five lenses and the camera body and like some film rolls and stuff. I talked him down to fifteen dollars for five lenses. <laughs> oh, way to haggle, huh? But like, but like they, you know, people don't know what they're worth half the time. They have gotten more expensive on eBay because I think they've become sort of trendy to buy these. DSLR shooter, I think, talked about it. Yeah, yeah. But even now, I mean, the most expensive ones are like a couple hundred dollars versus like, you know, some of the modern lenses I have were like eight, nine hundred dollars or a thousand or more. And, you know, like the Sony, what are they? G Master lenses are like four grand. Oh, yeah. And this, you know, this was 60 bucks. Looks a thousand times better. Yeah, so, yeah, those are the ones I use for all those. And it it's just you can't replicate it any other way. Yeah, that's the, the perfect word that I was trying to I think I was trying to think of to describe your videos. Like, yeah, they have such like a dramatic kind of like not like moody, but just like, I don't know. I just love the way they look like. I'm a big yeah. And a of, lot of that is lighting, too. I think that's some yeah. people don't understand is like even with a, you know, an iPhone or something, if you have really good lighting, you can take an amazing picture. So that was something I, you know, invested a lot of time into and and money (laughs) was buying like more lights and other stuff to make things look a certain way. But then learning to how to, you know, how to shoot with different light to make it give different effects. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. one of them, I yeah, I want that really smoky, hazy, like volumetric God Ray look. So I've got certain lighting tricks I can employ now to where I know like if the light is at this angle and I have another one as a kind of fill and then I have a splash down here, then it'll give it that super high contrast very dramatic epic look or like you know if i angle the light this way it'll reflect off the keyboard in a certain way where you know the whole thing just really pops out so but that's why videos take so long now is i really have to plan all this stuff ahead of time because it's not something you can like run and gun and do you really have to like be very intentional about it yeah are some of these things things that you've kind of done by accident that when you go back and watch in your edit like you know you're a few like times, oh yeah. that's actually i didn't even realize i was doing that i try to plan things out a lot but i do always kind of get variations on stuff mm-hmm. or just try and do like little sequence shots of like okay i'm gonna shoot this so i'm gonna get five different shots of it and i have you know two or three of them planned and then i'll just kind of wing it for a couple and just go for something interesting or a bit more artsy and those are often the ones that end up in the final video because it's like wow that looks really good so then you know yeah you kind of store that in your Mm -hmm. patch bank in your brain of like oh okay so next time i need like a really epic shot of like knobs here's a good way to make knobs like stand out against the background and you know i only have so much space to work with like all my videos are shot up here so that's a really interesting challenge is like to make different things every time but also make them feel consistent and that's the hard part is like i i put a lot of effort into making sure when you watch my videos you know what you're getting Mm -hmm. 
Did you watch Bo Burnham's Inside? Yeah, yeah, that was Where great. He shot the whole thing in that room. <laughs> That's what that reminds me of. Um, my next question for you is: best recent purchase under a hundred dollars. Best recent purchase under a hundred dollars. I got some new shoes recently. That was really good. <laughs> What'd you get? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, just the same like generic Adidas shoes I've been wearing for years. I, I'm I'm one of those people like I buy, you know, one thing and I'll just buy it again. Yeah. So I yeah I bought those on Amazon. They wore out. Got some new shoes. Good. That was like my thing with shirts too. I bought. A bunch of my shirts were getting worn out. I went on Amazon and bought like 30 just generic black V-necks. And that's what I'm always wearing in my videos. And that, that was awesome. Um, got the uniform. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, decision fatigue. I don't want to have to wake up and think about like, what am I putting on? I just like, I need to wake up and get to work. So same yeah. thing, you know, I have the same same coffee, same bag of this, same bag of that, whatever. Um, yeah. Best purchase under $100. The shoes is a good answer. Yeah. The shoes was a good one. And then, uh, yeah, I bought a a Chemex system a little while ago. That was pretty nice. cool. That was like 30 bucks, I think at target. So shout out target. And then, uh, yeah, this thing was a good video investment because it's a clapboard and a little color card oh, all cool. in one. <laughs> so this saves me a lot of time when I'm editing. I nice. almost didn't buy it, but it was like 20 bucks and I was like, okay, whatever. And then as soon as I had this, I was like, okay, cool. Excellent. And now I can like color my shots. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, yeah. That saves a lot of time. What What do you edit in? DaVinci Resolve. Nice. Which uh, is... We do too. Yeah, it's pretty intense. <laughs> it's great. But yeah, and now too, I've built up a lot of like my own LUTs and whatever, so that makes my editing process <clears throat> a lot better is just automating as much as I can. Oh, actually, nope, I got it now. The best thing under $100, a gym membership. There we go. Oh, that's, okay. that's probably the best investment I've made recently. <laughs> nice. You uh, weightlifting or cardio? What you doing? A little bit of everything. I'm not super into like, you know, sick gains, bro. <laughs> That's not really. Nathan's trying to get those gains. Boom. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just the amount you have to eat. I, I can't. I don't know. I've never been one to like eat a ton of food. But yeah, gym membership is great because I don't know. It's a, it's a good way to just get out of my head because yeah. I feel like, you know, like when you, you're in the shower and you come up with like a good idea, mm-hmm. I feel like it's the same thing. I can go to the gym and run for an hour. And, you know, I've been pissed off at this video I've been working on all day. And then I come home and I have like a thousand ideas. Yeah. You know, or like, yeah, just weightlifting or whatever, even, yeah, doing those. The only thing you can focus on is like, this hurts so bad. (laughs) And like, all you can do is breathe. Like, you can't think. You just have to totally focus on that. And I think that's been a, you know, it's not really the physical benefits of the gym. It's definitely been the mental benefits of doing that. I I haven't been able to run in a long time because it's been so damn hot here this summer. For people with like high anxiety or high stress, it literally burns off your cortisol. So like if, oh, you totally. go, yeah. if you go spend an hour in there, you will feel completely different. Yeah. And that's, that's been, yeah, for whatever it is, $9 a month or whatever. Definitely, definitely the best one and shoes. <laughs> Love it, man. All right. My last question for you is, uh, what accomplishments or goals would you like to achieve in the next couple of years? Uh, basically what's next for you? You know, I've been asking myself that for years now. (laughs) It kind of, that was the thing. Like once YouTube started to take off, it it just, every crazy idea I had happened. And then it became like, I want to, I want to do this. Okay. I did that. I want to go here. Okay. I did that. I want to do this thing. All right. Did that. So I don't know. I would really like to score a film or a game. That's not like some little indie project. Yeah. I was listening to your latest album yesterday, um, doing some prep for this and it was very, uh, cinematic, like dramatic. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it sounded, it's definitely sounded like it belonged on a Netflix TV show or something like that. So yeah, I'd love to do something with that. 
at some point. Um, I have a couple opportunities for that currently, but it's also a matter of finding time. And that's that's the weird part I'm at now is like, you know, I just invested this summer into doing YouTube full time and that's already paid off more than I ever thought it would. So now it's hard because it's like, do I want to keep doing this or do I want to lean more into YouTube? Because I feel like the whole universe keeps pulling me back to that. And I don't think that's a bad thing uh-huh. because YouTube has only led to more success in my music career. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, more so than anything else I've ever done. So, yeah, I'd really like to score a film or a game. I've done a a lot of them, but always like little, you know, an app or something like that that no one cares about. So I'd like to do that. I want to release another album at some point for sure, which is what I'm like working on right now. I want to release that spring thing that I've been sitting on for forever. Yeah, I have a huge catalog of other stuff that I'm thinking I might put out someday of just like stuff I didn't think was good enough. So it just never made the cut. So just kind of like here's a giant collection of like B-sides and other things I never finished. I would really like to do a library with like Spitfire, I think mm-hmm. would be cool for like labs maybe because I've been doing a bunch of stuff for a piano book and decent sampler, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I'd love to do something with that um, or just like other sample companies. I'd love to do just like a, a big synth library or something that would be kind of cool because I, I like what Heinbach has done mm-hmm. on that end of like, you know, the plugins and libraries he's released with other companies. I'd like to do something like that someday. And then... Yeah, maybe a plugin or two. I'm working with a couple companies on a few ideas, but you know, plugins are hard to develop and it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So I've got a few ideas for plugins I want to see, but I'm also kind of like, I don't know, I feel weird about doing that because I feel like every you know YouTuber has their plugin and it's always garbage. So I don't <laughs> want to be that guy, you know. And that was like I wanted to maybe start doing like lessons or something, but I don't know. I, I feel like every YouTuber has this like PDF they're selling you, and that's stupid. So I don't want to do that. Get that <laughs> ebook. Yeah, exactly. So I don't want to, I don't, and I don't want to be seen that way because I, I still don't consider myself a YouTuber because I don't think that's what I'm here to do. I mean, I think that's probably the next big thing is like a film or a game. I would love to do that because yeah, yeah. everything else I, I couldn't ask for anything more. I've done everything I've ever conceivably thought of and like the wildest ideas I've had, you know, happen. So it's like, I, I don't, I don't know. So again, it's that moving goalpost, right? But I'm, I'm glad start- to be in a position to where I don't care as much. Yeah. You know, I don't feel inadequate or like I have something to prove because I already did everything I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. Anything yeah. else is just fun, you know, icing much. on the cake. And it's such a, I think it's such a healthier mindset too of just, you know, when something comes along, I'm just excited about it. I'm not just grinding away trying to make it happen. I just, if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, whatever, you know, yeah. I've already, already had more than enough. <laughs> yeah. At least that moving goalpost, it's like, it's not as far away now. Now it's yeah. just, you're just kind of nudging it probably within an arm's reach instead of like, exactly. And that's, I could just get to that over the mountain, you know, but like now at least it's more like, and it's not as big of a goal. deal. Yeah. yeah. Because it's like, if it happens great. And if it doesn't, that's not going to break me. Yeah. You know, like it would be cool if that happens, but if it doesn't, I have plenty of other things happening, you know, and totally. I, and I know YouTube isn't forever. So, you know, that's kind of my next thing is figuring out, you know, what does this look like five years from now? But yeah, I don't know. And I'm kind of just at a point of like, I might as well just enjoy where it's at. Cause I feel like the less I question things and the less I just roll with it, the more it works out. So mm-hmm. maybe it's not worth spending the energy on and it's worth investing that energy into like just doing more of what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, especially yeah. if you're like an overthinker, it, like it's very oh, yeah. easy to just like, oh, what about this? What about this? Like, eh, all right, what about right now? That's what I need to worry about. Like, I think, yeah, you know, with my own goals, it's like I want to push my YouTube channel further and I really want to keep leaning into what I've been leaning into. And it seems like that's already paid off this month alone. So yeah, that's great, I'm hoping man. in three months from now, by the time summer's over, 
all this investment will have paid off and it'll allow me to push more into what I want to do on my YouTube channel and more what I want to talk about because that's the stuff that's already been the most successful Mm -hmm. is like the stuff I'm interested in. So I want to push that further and see where that goes and then, you know, make some music along the way. (laughs) Hell yeah. Love it, man. Cameron, thanks so much for coming on, dude. This was a blast. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was awesome. We will point people. uh, We will point people to your YouTube channel. Get them subscribed over there, and your website so they can hear your music. And uh, Craig, I will catch you next week. All right, man. Take it easy, Cameron. Awesome talking to you. Thanks again. Appreciate it. All right, fellas. Catch you soon.